This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The ruling coalition, led by the Liberal Democratic Party, increased its majority in Japan's upper house in Sunday's parliamentary elections, held two days after the assassination of Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister and leader of the LDP. The conservative bloc, which also has a two-thirds majority in the lower house, now has enough seats to attempt to mend the constitution so that it officially allows the country to maintain an army, a lifelong goal of Mr. Abe's. Russia launched renewed artillery fire in Ukraine's eastern cities, including Kharkiv, its second largest. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said on Sunday night that Russia conducted 34 airstrikes on the country since Saturday. A destroyed residential building in Chasivyar, a town in the Donetsk province, killed at least 18 people and left two dozen trapped under rubble. Twitter shares fell 7.8% in early trading, meaning the social media company could lose $2.2 billion in value when the American market opens. On Friday, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, said he would not proceed with a $44 billion takeover deal over disagreement about data provided by Twitter on the number of fake accounts. A heated legal dispute is on the cards. Uber, a ride-hailing company, assiduously courted politicians to rework laws as it was expanding globally, according to thousands of documents leaked to The Guardian. They show that Emmanuel Macron, then France's economy minister, was among the prominent politicians to have worked closely with the company when it was trying to launch in Paris in 2014. The Chinese region of Macau has closed its casinos on Monday for the first time in two years because of a rise in COVID-19 infections caused by the Omicron variant. Casino taxes, already dented by the pandemic-related disruption to tourism, account for more than 80% of the local government's revenue. Eleven Chinese cities, home to 115 million people, are currently subject to lockdown restrictions. The office of Ronald Vikramasinghe, Sri Lanka's prime minister, said on Monday that it had received confirmation that Gotabaya Rajapaksa, the president, would be stepping down on July 13th, as promised. Protesters who are currently occupying the presidential palace have expressed skepticism about whether he will really resign and say they plan to stay put until he does. They are angry about the country's financial crisis, rapid inflation, and shortages of food and fuel. Steve Bannon, a former advisor to Donald Trump who helped propel him to the White House, agreed to testify before the committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Mr. Bannon was previously indicted for contempt of Congress for refusing to appear before the panel. He was not working in the White House when the mob descended on the Capitol building last year. And fact of the day, $4 billion, TikTok's revenue last year. That should rise to $12 billion this year and $23 billion in 2024. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Jostling to be Britain's new leader For weeks, the excuse made by Conservative MPs for their failure to remove Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, from office was that there was no viable replacement. But since he stepped down as leader of the party last week, it turns out that quite a few think they could succeed him. 
Mr. Johnson wants to remain prime minister until his replacement as Tory party leader and thus prime minister has been decided. In ballots over the next fortnight, Tory MPs will whittle down the candidates to two. The final pair will then be chosen by all Conservative Party members by early September. So far, nine MPs have put themselves forward. They include a former Chancellor Rishi Sunak, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, and the Attorney General Suela Braverman. The candidates are scrambling over similar territory, slashing taxes, increasing defense spending, and distancing themselves from the sleaze and chaos of the Johnson era. Power struggles in the Pacific. On the eve of the annual meeting of the Pacific Islands Forum, due to begin on Monday, the president of Kiribati said his government would not attend. Teneti Malmau said the forum had failed to address concerns of Micronesian countries. It is a blow to a diplomatic group whose 18 far-flung members are already at the center of an intensifying contest for influence. In April, China signed a security pact with the Solomon Islands, letting it send in military personnel, police, and ships if invited. China's foreign minister Wang Yi has since tried, without success, to convince 10 Pacific countries to sign a regional trade and security agreement. In response, America and its allies are increasing aid and diplomatic attention. Pacific island nations are wary of being caught between big world powers, and they want more done throughout the world to address climate change. Given such challenges, the group needs all the solidarity it can muster. Gazprom's gas squeeze. When the German government suggested recently that a suspension of Russian gas exports to Europe could cause a global financial crisis, it seemed a tad alarmist. But that dark specter is looming ever larger. On Monday, Gazprom, Russia's state energy Goliath, is due to shut down all flows along Nord Stream 1, the main conduit through which Russian gas reaches Europe. Ostensibly. This is for scheduled maintenance of a turbine, and gas exports are supposed to resume in around 10 days. But there is another possibility that Russia's president Vladimir Putin will find an excuse not to restart the flow of gas. In June, the volume of Russian gas exported via all the main pipelines to Europe was just 4.7 billion cubic meters, down by two fifths compared with May, and barely a third the level of early 2021. Even if gas starts to flow again soon, Mr. Putin might be waiting for colder weather to cut off exports at the moment of maximum leverage. Cuba's July 11th protests. A year ago, thousands of Cubans took to the streets to protest against conditions on the island. Their readiness to express discontent about electricity shortages, empty shops, and a failing economy was unprecedented. So too was the government's crackdown. The 700 demonstrators still waiting to be tried may face sentences of between five and 30 years. Out of fear, the streets of Havana are likely to be quiet today. But social media is ringing with demands to free some of the more prominent prisoners, including artists Luis Manuel Otero Alcantara and Michael Castillo Perez. Marches and vigils to commemorate July 11th are being held in over 30 cities outside of Cuba, from Miami to Montevideo. 
As economic conditions on the island have grown yet worse than before, ever more Cubans are fleeing. An influx of migrants to America has prompted President Joe Biden's administration to relax some sanctions. But with few meaningful reforms at home, Cubans' many grievances remain. Football Leagues in Competition Last year, European football was roiled by plans for a breakaway, quote, Super League, which would have removed the best teams from the Champions League, the main existing club competition. Investors cheered, but fans revolted, broadcasters snubbed it, and governments vowed to block the tournament. It fell apart within 48 hours. On Monday, the European Court of Justice will consider whether UEFA and FIFA, the governing bodies of European and world football, contravene EU competition law by claiming executive rights to host tournaments. The verdict will advise a separate tribunal in which three would-be super leagues, Barcelona, Juventus, and Real Madrid, claim the rules unfairly restrict them from setting up a rival competition, which they are still keen to do. The organizers of the Super League and UEFA have more in common than they would like to admit. Both sides want to maximize revenue by scheduling more matches between Europe's biggest teams, and each tournament has tried to guarantee places for the richest clubs. For a supposedly meritocratic game, football has developed a strong protectionist streak. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you with a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which 1950s singer, who was partially deaf, is mentioned in the lyrics of the song Come On Eileen by Dexie's Midnight Runners? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Lady Bird Johnson, who died on this day in 2007. Children are likely to live up to what you believe of them. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.